Hear now this reading from the Gospel according to John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light, the true light which enlightens everyone coming into the world. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Like many families, our childhood tradition was to sit through, well that's not quite right, to vibrate through the Christmas Eve service before going to see Christmas lights in our hometown. Those nights are remembered fondly, but not quite as a Norman Rockwell scene. They weren't always peaceful rides. There were always at least two arguments. The first was about which radio station would accompany us on our light tour. One option would be the classical Christmas station. And the other would play the real classics, like Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. (laughs) This argument paired the children against the adults and was always ultimately won by my father, who denounced during the second song, That's it. I'm driving. I'll pick the music. And the preset for the classical station was selected. With that argument out of the way, a second would begin, this time more evenly matched. The parents, formerly united over the music choice, were now divided over the light viewing. My mother and older sister wanted to go see the big houses with the traditional displays of white lights, the ones they called classy. My father, my younger sister, and I preferred the houses that were best suited for the constant refrain of Grandma got run over by a reindeer. (laughs) We found ways to satisfy both sides of the debate, even if more time was spent where my mother wanted to be. One thing we never debated was why they did it. Well, we did debate why some of them did it the way they did it. And we often wondered why so many put so much into it. We just took for granted that that people would go out and find a tree that had been in the ground and now was cut, and they would take that tree, a tree inside their house, and put lights on it and, and 
consider that normal. It did seem normal. We did it. They did it. Everyone seemed to do it. The city did it. Stores did it. Do you know why we did it? Do you know why you do it besides that everyone else does it? It's a tradition that began in Germany where people put real candles in real trees inside their real homes as a way to witness to the light that was coming into the world. The light that shone in darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Those lights we put on our trees, our houses, or in our yards represent Jesus. They testify to the light, a light that has changed the world and is coming because His illumination is lasting. It's not on a switch. It can't be unplugged. Even when you don't notice, His light is shining. You show up here next Sunday afternoon or evening and see what this tree looks like all lit up. At first, with the house lights up, it'll look nice. You'll know there are lights on it, that there are ornaments on it. But then when the house lights go down and before the candles you're holding put off too much light, while we're singing Silent Night, look over there and all you will see on that tree is light. It will beam. And even if it didn't have all 2,300 light bulbs on it, it would still beam because when things are dark, light becomes obvious. All day long, you walk through places where little lights shine and you don't even notice them. You go into those same spaces at night and the lights look like beacons. In our den, on just one wall, there are little lights on the wireless router, the DVD player, the satellite receiver, the power strip, the printer, the clock. I walk past those lights during the day and hardly know they're there. I walk past them at night and it looks like a NASA control center. Lights, it turns out, are are ubiquitous, even when no one is paying attention to them. There was a time, you seniors should know this, there was a time when none of the lights I just mentioned existed. And sleep experts suggest that we slept a lot better back in those days because they say even the light of a cell phone charger can cue your body that morning is upon us. Those little lights mess with our sleep. And the big lights obscure natural beauty. I've not had enough of these experiences in my life, but I have had a few nights in remote locations where city lights didn't interfere and the sky was clear so that the whole expanse was filled with stars like lights on a tree. Those nights fill you with awe. We can't get nights like that around here, but even with the ambient light everywhere, when the moon is big and bright, it casts shadows, it brightens the night. When John was testifying to the light, he experienced nights when the moon lit them up and and nights when it was pitch dark. He knew the wonder of more stars than he could count, and he knew how darkness could be mysterious and fearsome and peaceful sometimes all at the same time. John knew what it was like to wonder what lurked in the shadows 
and to long for the morning when that threat would be revealed. He knew how a path could be easily trod in the daylight and then cause you to stumble if you took that same trip at night. In his days, the wise, cautious, protective people avoided the dark. And those who were up to no good or had little choice were out in it. It was easy then for John to turn light and darkness into metaphors. Everyone understood what he was talking about. With all our security lights and flashlights and street lights and headlights and endless sources of light, we modern people can work more, work later, move about more easily, feel much more secure in the darkness, and yet we still use the same kind of language as metaphor for, for life. We refer to difficult times as dark times. And the kids have taught us that a public insult is throwing shade. Maybe it's because for all the progress we've made, we recognize that we have not progressed beyond difficulty or insult. Those are still with us. No matter how artificially bright we make our lives, Those are still with us, even if the artificial light makes it harder for others to see the darkness and at times makes us reluctant to acknowledge it. Difficulty and insult, darkness, remain no matter how bright it is outside or how many bulbs are burning inside. We know that. But with the artificial lights burning brightly, we can pretend otherwise. And when we do so, we risk missing the true light shining among us. Like the wall of lights in our den, working just as hard, emitting just as much light, we risk not noticing the light that is present because it is competing with other light. To help us not miss it, we need someone who, like John, will testify to the light. When the light light is not as pronounced as stars in a dark sky or as a flashlight in a dark room, who will be attentive enough to recognize the light? And who will be faithful enough to celebrate it? It takes a person with childlike wonder to walk into your house in the middle of a sunny day and say, look at those lights on that tree. She would have to be so awed by the lights that whatever the response, who cares? Or we know we put them there. Or they're just little lights, barely enough to notice. Won't stop her from celebrating that the light shines Her all would force her to notice and compel her to testify to something that others would dismiss. She would have to say it aloud. Look at those lights. And maybe in doing so, someone else would pause long enough to say, You know, I've been walking past those lights all day long and never noticed that they were there. The light wasn't blinding me. And the atmosphere wasn't so dark that I couldn't help but see them, so I just walked right past. Now I see the light. That's what John did for others. 
He pointed to this light that was breaking in among them, changing everything, a light that they might have passed without even noticing so long as their life wasn't horrifyingly dark. A light that might not have made an impression on them since it wasn't shining directly in their eyes. But a light that was there nonetheless, even when it wasn't noticed, even when it wasn't asked for. John testified to that light. And enough people heard it. And enough people believed it that there are still people who are awed by the light that is among us. Maybe as we move through the glow of countless light in the coming days, we won't miss the light's testimony. Maybe some of those little bulbs, whether lighting up a dark night or making a quiet witness in the bright day, will cause us to pause and be awed once again. All that the true light is coming to the world. And maybe, just maybe, if store-bought lights can testify to that, we can too.